is good. Welcome. We've been doing a series on wisdom for the last couple of weeks uh, at City of God, and uh, we do this every summer. And the series is really a a little more practical approach uh, to just living a biblical life. And uh, we we like to do that in the summer because it's easy to sort of get a bunch of different uh, one-off messages, and we can kind of combine them all and say, this is the wisdom of God, because the wisdom of God transcends and covers every arena of our life. We have been saying over and over again that wisdom is like the master key, and the master key opens all the doors. Sometimes we just get wisdom on earth, and it's wisdom about finances or dieting and health or wisdom on how to get bigger biceps. You know, this one weird trick will get you 10-inch you know, biceps. That's what the clickbait always says, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, yeah. There you go, right? So we, we don't want just the one doorway. We want to see them all opened. And there's a story in uh, Chronicles where Solomon is praying and saying, God, I don't know what to do, uh, but I want to have wisdom to judge your people. And God comes in response to him and says, wow, uh, because you asked for wisdom and not riches or wealth or fame or whatever, or even to kill your enemies, he says, I'm going to give you so much wisdom that there's going to be no one like you on earth who's got this much wisdom. And he goes, but not only that, I'm going to give you also wealth and riches and fame and so on and so forth. And so it's showing us that God wants to, number one, God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to give it, James says this, he says, God gives liberally and without reproach wisdom to all those who ask for it. So he's saying, get wisdom. I want to give it to you and I want to show you what you can do with it because when we have the wisdom of God, we have the mind of God and we have the life that God wants for us. We believe at City of God that God wants us to have uh, life and life more abundantly. The devil has come and he wants to steal and he wants to kill and he wants to destroy, but God has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And so we want to live in that life. So we want to be getting wisdom and the wisdom of God. Not only is the wisdom the master key, but wisdom that comes from God is like, is his ways are always above our ways. And it's like, if you were to, if you were to go somewhere at 5 PM on Friday in LA, God's wisdom is like the helicopter that could guide you. Right, If you're above the traffic and you had somebody telling you where to go and where to turn, you could go even faster than Waze could. Right? I know that's mind-blowing to a lot of people, but it would be like, that's where God's wisdom. It's above, it's looking down, and he can show us where to turn left and where to turn right and where to go straight and where to speed up and where to slow down. His wisdom guides our life, and as we're hearing from him, he can help us avoid the routes that we need to go. This morning, coming on the 110, you know, north, and uh, there was a, I usually go kind of bypass, and you can go straight through to the 101, and uh, all of a sudden, it was all backed up, and I just was like, I'm going to sneak around, and good thing I did, because they were, I don't know, like sweeping the streets or something, and it was all backed up, and I was like, that could have been 25, 30 minutes just sitting in there, but it was just, I got around it, luckily, right? That's like the wisdom of God. It helps us avoid those roadblocks in life, and the more we hear his voice, and the more we follow and obey his wisdom the less roadblocks there are going to be. Now, that, this, that means there are going to be some roadblocks in life, just that's part of life, but the less they are and the less uh, scary or sad or whatever it is, the, less we can, we, the more we can get around them. Amen? Amen. So today I want to talk about uh, boundaries, and uh, we're going to talk about the wisdom of boundaries. And, and this is kind of a maybe a unique message uh, because we don't hear a lot about boundaries in terms of uh, Christianity or relationship. And I want to talk about what are, what are boundaries are and how God is the originator of boundaries. Let me just read this verse here. This is Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. It says this: "Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set." And logic would just 
would, would naturally say to us, if God says don't remove the ancient boundaries or the ancient landmarks, then what should we not do? Remove the ancient boundaries or landmarks, okay? So we want to get to this place where we're hearing God's word and we're taking it 100% face value. And we talked about this last week. The reason we do that, the reason we believe 100% in the Bible is because God's word is true. And as a result of it being true, it allows us to completely trust him. And if there's any sort of error in the word of God, then what happens is we can no longer put our entire trust in it, right? Some people put all their trust into the government and then the government fails them and then they hate the government, right? Some people put all their trust into finances and they lose all their money and then they hate finances. Well, I don't know if anybody hates finances, but you get the point, right? That they, they're there and they're going after it and they're pursuing something and saying, this is, I put every, my life into something. You know, some people put all their lives into clubs and, and organizations and memberships and things like that. And then one time somebody messes up, which is going to happen all the time because we're all imperfect. That one time somebody messes up and they say, I'm, I forget about this. I'll never do that again. I'll never have friends ever again because of what they said about me on Facebook. And this is the, the world that we live in. When there's any sort of error, any sort of reason to not trust then we can't put our trust in those things. Well, the thing about God's word is that it's perfect. Uh, there's everything about it is, is perfect. It comes from him. And so we can therefore put our trust in God. We mentioned this last week. Well, what about creation? Well, God says he created the world in six days. You said, well, wasn't it like billions of years old? I don't know. I just know that God said six days. And so I believe it. And you say, well, how could you do that? Isn't that blind faith? Yes, that's exactly what it is. And some people say, well, we have science to prove that it happened billions of years ago. And I said, well, it sounds like blind faith to me as well, right? Because there's no recorders back then, right? There was no guy filming it, and here comes the Big Bang, by the way. You know what I mean? And then, oh, here, here, oh, look, look, here he goes. He's turning into a gorilla, you know what I mean, from a frog. We don't have, so we're basically taking these things at blind faith just as well. And you say, that's not true. This is science. These are ideologies. These are belief systems that we have. Any, any name you want to give it, you can call it Islam, you can call it Christianity, you can call it uh, you know, Judaism, you can call it science, or whatever it is. And we're not against science by any stretch of the imagination. I want to make that clear. But science proves that God exists. And that's how we see it, because that's our ideology. That's our perspective of faith, that Jesus is God. He's our Lord and Savior, and we're going to focus everything through that filter. Every single thing, finances, love, relationships, everything about our lives has to be filtered through the Word of God, because that's what we've chosen to do. Can I get an amen? Amen. So let's get into Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to do something we do every now and again. I'm going to read an entire chapter of the Bible, and uh, so I want you to bear with me. It's going to be up here, and it already is up there. So here we go. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say to you, say you must not eat from the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit. Excuse me. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. That's what Eve says, okay? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Oh, okay, interesting there, huh? So she took some of the fruit and ate it, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
The man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, and this is, this is the all-time response from all of history, right? It was the woman, right, who made me do it, right? It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and then I, of course, I had to eat it because she gave it to me, okay? That excuse has gone on for thousands of years. It was the woman, okay? You can laugh in church, P.S. Then the Lord God asked, or you don't have to, but I'm just saying. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. Okay, so we've got the man blaming the woman, the woman blaming the serpent. Okay, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. So immediately we know snakes are devils, right? So if you see one, feel free to step on one. Unless it's in a cage and then you can just gaze upon it. Okay, but not too long. (laughs) because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. That's why women hate snakes. And between your offspring and her offspring. That's why children hate children. Just kidding. I'm kidding. Like what? He, I'm just making sure you're listening. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in the pain, you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you all your life. You will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will, you, uh, you will have, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from the dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word. God, I thank you that is living and sharper and powerful today. God, let your word just sink deep into our hearts. God, we want your, your wisdom, the wisdom of God to enter our hearts and to show us how to live our lives. I thank you today, God, that your words are going to be wisdom and their words are going to be life today. I pray that we would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you got this, this story of just the, the entrance of sin into the world. And uh, here's here, we see a couple things. From the get-go, God is a God of boundaries, right? He put two trees in the garden. Now, this is interesting because a lot of people be like, why do you put two trees? Why do you just put the one tree of life? Then man would only have one decision. It would just be for tree of life. But one of the beauties of God is that he's given us uh, free will. Love is not love unless it is reciprocated freely, right? So if you have to make somebody, quote-unquote, love you, that's not love, right? That's abuse and manipulation, right? And that's why we're talking about boundaries today, so we can get out of those kind of things. So we see that God immediately says, look, I want you to choose me. I want you to choose not the, the trees necessarily. I want you to choose to listen to me. The choice was not about the trees. The choice was about obedience to God's word. God told man and says, look, any tree 
Out of all the trees in the Garden of Eden, you can have, you could eat the tree of life all day long if you wanted to. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Adam says, this is awesome, right? This is the best thing. So he goes around, he's eating everything, and then kind of like, eh, I won't do that. Then God creates Eve, and Eve kind of comes along, and she's like, oh, okay, looks good. But Adam told me that God said not to eat of the trees, of the, you know, except for that one, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. And then the devil comes along, and he is, he's a liar, just in case you're wondering. The devil is the kind of guy who will eat your lunch and then tell you that God did it, okay? That's, that's how bad he is. He's like, man, I don't know who came in here and ate your lunch. It looked like God did it. Look at the crumbs. God always leaves a mess like that. You know, and you're like, yeah, let's get God. You know, that's the way the devil is. Okay? He sneaks in there. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Always trying to show you like, oh, I, did he really say that? You know, that's the way the devil is. Okay, so we've got to recognize that. And the thing about being deceived is you never know you're being deceived. That's why we need God to come in and tell us, hey, you're being deceived. And you're like, no, I'm no, oh, I am. Okay. He's, you know what I mean? I thought tuna fish was good. And all of a sudden it's like, no, it's not good. That's deception, right? Just kidding. I like tuna fish. Just trying to give real examples here this morning, right? So God placed this boundary in the Garden of Eden and is like, look, just eat anything but that one. And he's telling and he's really saying to Adam, I want you to obey my word. And this is always the choice that we have in life is to obey God at his word or not obey God at his word. He wants us to obey him. Because when we obey him, that's like I said, that's again, God looking down upon us. He's able to guide us through life. And the more sensitive we are to his voice and the more responsive and obedient we are to his voice, the better, the more abundant life can be for us. Now, again, that doesn't mean it's a golden road to heaven. What it means is that through the trials and tribulations, we know that God has got a better way and a better plan. You've heard the old adage before. If you're in hell at the moment, don't stop. Keep going, right? It's the same principle is that no matter matter what's going on in our life, we just keep following God, keep going the direction that he wants us to go. Amen. So all of Genesis chapter one is about boundaries, right? In the beginning, God said, you know, let there be light. And there was light. Okay. There was a light. And then what's the opposite of light? Darkness, right? There was a boundary. God says, these two things are going to be different. These two things are not going to mix, right? Then he says, there's going to be night and day. So there's a day and there's a night. Okay, those two things cannot be mixed. It cannot be both simultaneously day and night. Well, what about dusk? No, that's not what I'm talking about. You know that, okay? Because somebody in there's always got one excuse. What about the dawn? I see, I got you. It's like, no, nah, okay, you're wrong. What about water and land? Okay, well, what about the beach? They meet. You get the point, okay? See, they're separate from each other. There's boundaries, okay? So God from the beginning has been a God of boundaries, and he says, I'm going to set these boundaries, and I'm going to keep them where they're supposed to be. If God removes any one of these boundaries, total chaos would ensue, right? Now, for me personally, I don't believe that the oceans are going to flood the world. And you say, well, how could you say that? Because God's word says that he would never flood the earth again. So we see that God set a boundary up with his word and nothing can change his word. His word, as it says in Isaiah, will never return void. So the polar ice caps can melt and maybe they will. I don't know what they're going to do, but the earth will not change because God's not going to flood the earth. Now, if you look at Revelation, it says he's going to burn the earth. 
I'm just kidding. You're like, oh no. So yeah, that's why we have, that's why it's so hot nowadays. Okay. No, but you get the point, right? God has boundaries all over this earth and he's saying these things are natural. And so therefore we can easily take the idea of God's natural boundaries and recognize that not only there are natural boundaries, but when God puts man in the garden of Eden, he gives him a spiritual boundary as well and says, when we keep out the bad and keep the good in and let more of the good in and keep more of the bad out, that is a healthy boundary, right? A boundary is just simply a line that marks a territory or a region. Okay. When you have kids, one of the first things they do is they test the boundaries. Okay. You cannot go across this line, right? And what's the kid do? Steps right across the line, huh? What are you going to do now? I'm going to put another line in the sand. Don't cross this line. You know what I mean? That's why discipline is so important because it helps us set actually proper boundaries. When kids are little, they, they don't understand that there are boundaries in life, right? So you go into the bathroom, all of a sudden a kid walks in. It's like, I need to get something, daddy. And you're like, just a minute. I'm going to finish here. Okay, that's where this door is here. You didn't close the door and lock it. Well, I'm sorry. I, you know, respect, you know, get out. There's boundaries that we have to instill and show kids then there's boundaries in their hearts as well. Hey, you can't do that. I know that you didn't get what you wanted to, but you crying and throw, rolling around on the floor, throwing a fit, that's not going to make me change my mind. And, there's, and, the, and the kid will be like, well, why not? Why, does it, why doesn't it work this way? Because there's boundaries in our life. And we're going to get into this this morning about how to actually set boundaries. California has got boundaries, right? A couple of loose ones, mind you, but they're there, right? The beach is a boundary. These, all these different boundaries that we have in life, and we need to understand that these are lines of demarcation, and we have to put those not just naturally, but spiritually, right? Think about a car. If your car didn't have any doors, right? There's no boundaries. You can just hang out. They always tell you on the ride, don't stick your arm out real far, right? Because what's going to happen? It'll get ripped off. Boundaries are good. Boundaries are not a bad thing, right? We want to set boundaries because when we set boundaries, it creates order, and God is a God of order, so let's talk about our boundaries. But Proverbs says this, and this is again from the wisest man on earth. Solomon tells us to guard our heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life in. And Jesus says this later in the gospels. He says in our innermost being is a river of life and out of our mouths is going to flow out of the abundance. And so God is putting this principle in life is that inside of us is the issues and the things that we're working through. And if we don't have proper boundaries, then we're just going to spew everything we have on everybody, right? This is what's called Facebook in case you're wondering, right? Just the spewing of emotions and, and thoughtless, you know, uh, remarks to people and, and trolling and all this kind of stuff. It is that no one is guarding their heart with all diligence, Right. And this is what God does not want us to do because it's boundaryless living. In short, boundaries help us keep in the good and the bad out. Keep the good in and the bad out. They guard our treasures so that people will not steal them. Right? I love when uh, you know. I love when when rich and famous people say, you know, we shouldn't have any gates or any fences. And then you go see their house, and it's like you know, surrounded by gates and fences and guards. And it's like, so wait a minute, why is it okay here but not okay there? Right? Somebody, we do understand the principles of boundaries. Boundaries again. I'm telling you, boundaries are a good thing. Say that boundaries are good. There you go. See, it feels better, doesn't it? You already set a boundary. You realize, oh man, boundaries are, they are really good, right? If I don't have a front door and there's no door, then guess what? People can come in and steal all of our stuff. And you say, how dare you have such a low opinion of people? No, I just have a regular opinion of people, right? That we all have sin nature. 
And if we allow temptation to get in, it's going to lead us to our worst possible place, which is why the Bible tells us to get rid of temptation, to avoid places where we get tempted. What's that doing? It's setting a boundary, right? If you have a, you know, a, a proclivity towards getting drunk and passing out and all that stuff, guess what? You should not go to a bar. Why not? Because you're setting a boundary, right? This is just a reality. And, and these are kind of heavy topics, but this is why so many people just have wrecked lives because they have no boundaries. They don't know how to set boundaries. So that's why we're talking about it. Good thing. Amen. Good preaching. Okay. Often when people are abused or experience pain while growing up, they reverse the function of boundaries and they keep the bad in and they keep the good out, right? That you're trying to help them, but they want to hold on to the, the, the hurt and the pain in their life rather than allow healing to happen. One of the biggest uh, sort of states in Los Angeles is that a lot of people are lonely. And here we have a church where you could not be lonely. And you can gather with people on a regular basis. And yet people, because they've been, maybe they've been hurt by somebody who was a believer or they were hurt by a, a church or whatever, they immediately put, what? Put the boundaries up, right? I'm never going to go to church again. That's a boundary, right? And so we have to understand that we want God to come in and break down the wrong boundaries and build up the right boundaries. Amen. Okay, we don't want to keep the pain inside the walls. We want to get the pain out. And this is why we don't want to have reverse boundaries. We want to break them down and let the good in. And Jesus even talks about this. He says, look, if, if a strong man is there guarding the treasures in your house, unless one who is stronger comes in and take it, the treasure cannot be taken. Jesus has to be that strong man the strongest of the strong men, right? Otherwise, somebody will come in and take it. If we're guarding and trying to guard the treasure of our heart, the devil who is stronger and can wear us down, he will come in and he'll steal that treasure. So the only one who can defeat the devil and has defeated the devil is Jesus. That's why Jesus has to be, wait for it, at the center of it all, right? There it is. Just using that song over and over again today, okay? So he's got to be at the center of it all because he's the strongest one. And when he guards and protects our heart, nobody can take it from it. And he even says, he says, all those who are mine, nobody can take them out of my hand. Now, you can walk out of Jesus' hand, and you can walk out of the kingdom of God, but you cannot be taken or stolen or thieved out of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about three areas where we need our boundaries. Number one is our feelings. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. God instructs us to keep or protect or guard our own hearts. He knows how important this is. And again, I'm not talking about your literal heart, although we have, you know, a rib cage to protect our heart that way, but I'm talking about our spiritual heart, right? The thing that receives and gives emotions and hurts and joy and feelings and pain. He says to keep your heart with all diligence, self-control in the list of the fruit of the spirit, which is the fruit of living it with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. The last one is self-control. Now it's not the last because it's the least. It's just the last because of the order they listed them in. And self-control is one of those things that maybe we as believers, maybe as Christians, we don't talk about a lot. We don't, you know, I mean, we, you got to let it out. You know, that's what you're saying. Casey said, you know, we got boundaries. So I got to let everything out now and just dump everybody. No, self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. And it allows us to live with proper boundaries. And you say, how can this be so? Jesus was the master of self-control. There is not a single thought, 
emotion, word, or deed that Jesus didn't do or Jesus did do that wasn't perfect. Everything he thought was perfect. Now think about that. You may have about seven minutes a day of perfect thoughts, and the rest are just, you know, human, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you get in traffic and you weren't expecting there to be traffic or you got the Starbucks and the line was out the door or you got the Starbucks and there wasn't a parking spot or you got to whatever, you know, coffee shop you went to that you love and they ran out of your coffee, right? And all of a sudden self-control goes out the window and then the heart kicks in. It's like, you know, in the cartoons and the steaming of the ears and the red face and all that kind of stuff. This is what Jesus never did that. He always had his emotions in check. He was the master of self. He was never arrogant nor too shy or, or, you know, dissonant or whatever. He was always the perfect personality. How could that be? Because he was submitted to the Holy Spirit in everything that he did. He was always the perfect example of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And, and I always like to contrast this idea of here was Jesus, who's the, the perf- perfect picture of gentleness, and yet at the same time, he was able to whip people in the temple and kick them out of the temple. And you say, how can those two things be true? When you're following the Holy Spirit, God allows certain doors to open and you follow those as long as you're submitted 100% to them. Does that mean you could go tomorrow and whip the people in the temple? No, that's not what that means. That just means that Jesus did it perfectly, right? So we understand that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit and God wants us to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Our feelings are never to control us. Our emotions are there to trigger and warn and be like, "Uh uh-oh, something's not right, or "Uh uh-oh, something's awesome, right? And then from there, we are to submit our feelings to the Holy Spirit to tell us, how should I be, what should I be doing in here? Now, there's certain things that is kind of interesting here is you say, what about should I ever not be joyful? No, you should always be joyful, right? Should I ever not be, you know, what if I'm always depressed? Well, you got to go to the Holy Spirit to get the joy. Some people come into church and they control their joy, right? We're singing happy songs and we're praising and we're moving to the left and we're moving to the right and we're jumping and dancing in the river and some people are just like this, right? But then they go to the, you know, the whatever, the rock concert and they're like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, well, why, why would we swap one for the other? Well, the, self, the control, the emotions are reversed, right? We should be praising the God who saved us and dancing to the left or the right or dancing in the river or jumping in the river or shouting in the river or whatever it may be that we're supposed to be doing because these are all acts of worship in response to God versus the band who just wants us to buy their music. Right now, and, and they may want to play music. I know they, every band, you know, has a heart to play music and their musicians and all that good stuff. But the way they do that is by selling albums. Okay, so they didn't really do anything to help you out, right? Whereas Jesus saved us, pulled us out of the miry clay, gave us life, and all this kind of stuff. That's where we should be allowing our emotions to worship and dance and praise and shout. And if you want to dig in on this, there's a whole series on the internet on our on our website about worship and the ways to worship and all that kind of thing. But all throughout the Bible, you see that people were dancing and praising and shouting and clapping, right? Whereas in our minds, sometimes we think church should be quiet and res- that's man saying this is what self-control looks like rather than seeing what the Holy Spirit has for us. David even says this, his, his wife, Michael, just looks down on him from above and is like, wasn't it so dignified for the king to be whirling and twirling in the streets and all the, all the maidens of the land saw you doing that? And David looks at her and he says, 
I will be even more undignified than that. Now, I don't know. that He's dancing in his underwear, so I don't know how much more undignified you can get. But you get the picture. He's basically saying, look, I will go crazy for Jesus if that's what I have to do. Right? If that's what God's telling me to do, that's the response that we should continually be having. If God wants me to shout and praise and dance and clap and sing, then that's what I'm going to do. If he wants me to be quiet and reserved and meditate on the word, then that's what I'm going to do. Amen? So the first one, first place to get our uh, boundaries fixed is in our feelings. The next one is other people's feelings. What do I mean by that? Jesus never let other people's feelings or emotions control him. Okay, if we feel responsible for other people's feelings, we can no longer make decisions based on what is right. Just think about that for a second, right? If you're basing your decisions on the way other people feel, then you're in a bad place because you're allowing them to dictate your life, right? Like I said, with children, one of the things they want to do is they want to get their own way. From the get-go, the first thing they say is mine, me, mine, give it to me, all this kind of stuff. If we let them live that way, which is how a lot of people raise their kids, it's okay, honey, you can do whatever you want. Just don't be, just don't roll on the floor or you're going to go get a timeout with your iPad. You know, oh, that sounds like torture, doesn't it? No, we have to set proper boundaries and tell them you can go ahead and roll on the floor, but I'm leaving. Guess what happens? They stand right up and walk right behind you. I've got three kids, so in case you're wondering how I'm able to talk about this so freely and wonderfully, it's because I've got three little kids of my own that I, we put boundaries on all the time. So we've got to understand that other people's feelings cannot control or dictate us. And we see that there are bullies, right? They'll get mad at you or they'll cry or they'll, they'll basically throw grown-up fits. Well, why didn't you want to go hang out with me? Hey, listen, we should be able to tell each other no and it'd be all right. Jesus even says this, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Now, does that mean it's fun when somebody tells us no? No. But it means that we should be able to respect that. Okay, If we're always trying to keep everyone happy, then we cannot make the choices required to live correctly and freely. That's a really good point. Thank you. I agree. If we're always trying to keep everyone happy, Paul even talks about this. There are some people who are just... He calls them men, man pleasers. You're just out there trying to please everyone. That's actually not a good way to live because you will live and die by their praise and their rejection. We want to be people who live by God's acceptance. And when we know, and this is one of our core values, it's our uh, second core value is identity. When we have our identity in Christ Jesus, is our third one, sorry, transparency is second. Our identity in Jesus then whether somebody loves us or does not love us, while it may hurt or while it may be awesome, ultimately we should have everything we need from the presence of God. Put it like this. If you were to go to a desert island and all you had was Jesus, could you be all right with yourself? Would you think less of yourself because there was no one around to praise you or there was no one around to pat you on the back, good job eating that coconut or finding the fish or whatever it is, right? No, we have to be able to... Receive everything, every part of our identity from Jesus. Amen? Many people are stuck in the stage of development where they think they can control others by getting angry or sad. Have you ever done that with somebody? I, you didn't like what they said, uh, didn't like how they did something, and so what, how you responded was getting angry or sad or d- despondent. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, well, I never get my way. What are you doing? You're trying to manipulate that person. You're trying to break their boundaries down and shift them to do what you want to do. Here's the thing about life that is amazing and and sucks at the same time is that we don't always get what we want. Even the Rolling Stones know that. 
And if the Rolling Stones know that, then surely we should be able to know that. Okay? This tactic often works when somebody does get angry or sad. It works with us when our boundaries are immature. So somebody begins to twist and turn. All of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I've made this person feel bad, and now I feel bad. Now I feel guilty that I told them I didn't want to do this. And you know what? I'm going to break all my own rules, and I'm going to go and do it anyway. And that is what, what happens when you do that is your boundaries begin to break down, and then you get into a place of chaos. There are a lot of people who want to drag you into their drama, right? They want, to pre- they want to bring their chaos into you, which one of the things I always talk about with people is like, you know what, in L.A., it is very hard to be punctual, but it is possible to be punctual. Did you know that? that I mean, and what I mean by punctual is if the meeting's at 1, you can't get to the parking garage at 1, you know, or get to the neighborhood at 1 and then spend 30 minutes looking for the. Well, I got here at 1. No, you got here at one thirty because you still need to spend 30 minutes driving around looking for that one free spot, which didn't exist, right? We all know that. So you got to plan accordingly. You say, well, that would take me an extra 30 minutes. That means you got to get up 30 minutes earlier. That means you got to take a shower and brush your teeth 30 minutes earlier. Whatever it is, you have to adjust your schedule accordingly so that you can create the proper boundaries so that you don't end up trying to manipulate somebody because of your lack of boundaries. Amen? Maturity, ready for this? Maturity is accepting responsibility and adjusting to reality. If you never accept responsibility, right? We saw this in Adam and Eve. Hey, it was, it was the woman who did that. And Eve's like, it was the devil who tricked me. You know what I mean? And that's what a lot of people like to do. They're coming in and they're saying, man, it was the devil. It was my wife. It was my husband. It was my friend or whatever. They're trying to pass the buck. That's immaturity. Not only is accepting responsibility maturity, but adjusting or adapting to reality is maturity. As much as I want there to be no traffic in LA, it is just the reality reality of it that there's going to be traffic, right? As much as I want people to say hi to me as I walk by them on the street, sometimes they do not. Even when I say hello and wave, even my own neighbors don't say hello and wave sometimes. I could be immature and be like, I want to make you say hello to me, right? That's what the immature is. The immature tries to make reality adjust to us. Trying to say, well, you know what? This is not happening, so I've got to find some way to make a reality adapt to me. We see this all across America. Right now, we've raised up a generation of immature, uh, you know, adult, young adults. Now, the problem is that we're responsible to help show them and to bring them into maturity so that we then have to actually do this. First thing we need to do is accept responsibility. You know what I mean? I was watching this uh, interview and this young girl was, she was on college and she was protesting and say, Hey, I want free college for everybody. And I want them to pay off all the debts. And, uh, and there was some other thing in there, free healthcare, I think. And, and she was talking to this announcer and he was saying, you know, hey, how much do you think those things will cost? And, and uh, he's like, well, each one of those costs a trillion dollars. And she's like, okay. And he says to her, you know, if you were to tax and take every dollar from every person in America, it would not equal it would only equal $2 trillion. And he says, what are we going to do? And she's like, well, we want all those things. And he's like, I understand. And not that I don't disagree with you, but two minus three equals negative one. I know, but we want, well, you're going to have to give up one of those things. No, we want all of them. You see what I'm saying? There's no adaptation to reality, right? If you want three cheeseburgers, but there's only two on your plate, you can want them all you want, 
right? You can say, man, I really want a third cheeseburger. You can just sit there and be like, man, there is going to be a third cheeseburger. There should be one right here, and there's only two. What is the deal? You can say that all you want, but you need to adapt to reality and just order the third cheeseburger, right? And I wish it were that easy every time, but a lot of times it's a lot harder to adapt to reality because we want things to go our way and go perfectly our way, but because they do not, we then get immature and get sad or angry or mad or protest or whatever, and then we move, fall back into that and we deny responsibility and we deny the fact that reality is out there and reality is happening. We need to adapt to reality, adjust to reality, and walk in responsibility. That's what maturity is. Amen? Some people think that is mean to say that those things. You know what I mean? To put up boundaries is a mean thing. No, to put up boundaries is healthy. And that's really, this is what's interesting, is who, who do you think on this earth would not want you to put up boundaries? Right? We, I'll just say it in case you're wondering. The devil. Okay, spoiler alert. He does not want you to have good boundaries. He wants you to live in chaos. He wants to be able to just run roughshod all over your life and just have his way because he hates you. Okay. And you say, that's so mean. The devil doesn't hate. He does hate you. Okay. There we go. I've said it. And that's what people think. Boundaries are mean because I said no to somebody, right? We live in a passive aggressive culture. Hey, what do you think about uh, just turning around everything that you're doing and come over and helping me right now? And then of course you're like, I don't want to do that. I've got this thing over here. And, and so you think, well, uh, maybe like you're not going to do it. Just tell them no. But how, how harsh no seems. Uh, you know what? I can't do that. How dare you? Do you hate me? Why do you hate me? Why do you hate everything about me? What, that's what people think immediately because you said no. And that's not the way we should be thinking about each other. I said no because I can't do this right now. Now, if you ask me and, and say, hey, could you do this maybe later on this weekend? I could probably help you and make some room to adjust. But at the moment, I have to say no. We should be okay saying no to each other. Right? Not a lot of amens on that, but it's okay. Okay? We cannot be taking responsibility for how other people feel. Now, don't, let me say this loud and clear. We always want to be sensitive to other people's feelings and empathize and, and about our choices, but we're never taking responsibility for how somebody feels. I'm sorry you feel that way. I, I just, I cannot do that right now. Right? And that's okay, and we should be okay with that. And the other person has to get over their emotions and adapt to reality. Otherwise, if they don't adapt to reality, they're going to live in this you know, sort of walled-off state. Okay? If people are mature, they will process their own disappointment and own it. I'm disappointed. I know that happened. Okay, i got to work on it in my own self. I've got to adjust my expectations. I've got to adjust my boundaries. Right? Boundaries are good. Say boundaries are good. Okay, here's a, here's a little test. This is called the no test. There's two, two aspects to this test. What happens when you tell somebody no? We always do this with our kids. If you just tell them outright, what does no mean? No means stop it, don't, you know, no more doing that. Do they keep doing that? Okay, that's the first side of the no test. The second side of the no test is when you answer no to somebody, do you begin to scramble for a reason to justify your no? No, uh, because, um, you know, I want to, I just, no is a complete sentence. And it's not a hurtful sentence. It just means I'm not able to. I can't do it right now. That doesn't mean I don't love you. That doesn't mean I hate you, right? Because that's what we kind of begin to think. All of a sudden, guilt starts creeping in. You're like, I just told that person no. 
I don't have any time. They must think I hate that. Those are the lies from the enemy coming in because he doesn't want you to have boundaries. He wants to drag you into the, the chaos and the drama. We've got to be able to say no, not from a selfish perspective, but from a perspective of I'm keeping my boundaries. Do you have an internal pressure to find a good, acceptable excuse, like a parent's note to the principal's office? The pressure to justify literally means the pressure to show something to be right. I'm excusing this, my no, and saying it's right, right? What is that? That's trying to please people. We can't, we're not going to please people. I will let you down as a pastor. If you, and not saying you can't trust somebody ever again, but it's just the reality is that there will be some time when we try to meet and I can't meet with you and I got to rearrange it and you're going to have to own your disappointment. I'm going to have to own my lack of scheduling or whatever it may be that caused us to get to that place. But we're not putting our trust in each other. And God never even tells us to put our trust in each other. He says, trust in me and love your neighbor. Our job is to love our neighbor, not necessarily put our trust in them like we're putting our trust in God. Does that make sense? Okay, the last level here, the third, third area where we need boundaries is relationships. God desires that each of us have many life-giving and life-producing relationships. Relationships where iron sharpens iron and encouragement and love flow. Think about our little no test. Uh, why does the person, you know what I mean? Why do they need to be justified the right or wrong? If we're good friends, if we have proper boundaries in our relationships, a no is okay, right? I can't, I can't do this right now. No. Again, what, what, what do you think? You must think I'm horrible. No, I don't. I just, I just said no. I just can't, I'm not able to at the moment, right? This is different, obviously. If a judge asks you to appear in a court, don't say no, okay? I mean, you can, but you're going to have to really own up and take responsibility. But are you getting the picture? Proper relationships, there is no judge, right? And so we're able to give freely of our love and our time and our energy. But just being able to say, no, I can't do that. No, I, I'm going to miss that dinner. Or no, I can't, I can't make it at this time. Don't, don't look for a good reason to justify it. It's okay to say no. And you should even talk about that with some of your friends and some of your family members or whatever it is. Hey, we should be able to say no, and you be okay with that. Now, it may take you a couple minutes, hopefully not more than a couple minutes, to get over the fact that I did say no, but I'm not rejecting you. I'm just rejecting this moment. You know what I mean? I just can't do this thing at this moment. And it's not a rejection of your character, of your personality. I don't know. I didn't stop loving you because I said no. I'm just saying I cannot do that. Or sometimes, in reality, I don't want to do that. Right? And when somebody doesn't want to do something, that kind of hurts. It's like, well, do you not like me? No, it's just I don't want to do that right now. You with me? Okay? In the best relationships, no can be questioned, but it's usually not judged. And what I mean by that is it might reveal some sort of problem. Well, like, well, why can't you do this or why not? You know what I mean? And then you can explain to them if they, if they feel that way. But in reality, it should be like, no, I can't do that. Oh, okay, no problem. Well, it's just trying to, you know, hang out again some other time. Perfect. Awesome. Right? No big deal. There's a difference. There's a big difference when your no feels like it is subject to judgment and you feel like you need to have a good excuse. That means that there's a lack of freedom in that relationship. Right? All of a sudden you're like, uh, I can't say no to this person. Yes, you can. It may cost you something. And this is one of the hard parts about boundaries. Sometimes boundaries bring a, a bit of isolation. 
but that is the proper kind of isolation in the sense of you're now separating yourself from the bad, bad relationships, bad motives, right? Bad feelings, bad emotions. And that there may be some time where you have to separate yourself until you can get stronger and healthier in your ability to have a better relationship. But in reality, it's okay to say no. Now I'm not saying that we just say no to say no, because sacrifice is a good key to every relationship. But the point is, we're not sacrificing our boundaries. We're not sacrificing our relationships just because somebody wants me to do what they want them to do, right? We have this old kind of saying around our house, love respects freedom, love thrives in freedom, and love requires freedom. Love respects freedom, that we are free to make our own decision. That's the way God respects us. He loves us so much that he gave us freedom and a free will. Love then thrives in freedom because we know that the one who set us free is the one who set us free. Then we are, our love begins to thrive for him and his love begins to thrive for us. And then love requires freedom. That love is saying, hey, look, part of my love is that you are free to make the decisions that you want to do. And if we've done our job properly, then the, the relationship will be in health. I want my children to be able to grow up and have proper boundaries. Even my, my middle son, he's just a natural uh, uh, middle guy, and so he wants to be the peacekeeper, and that's the way I grew up, very much peacekeeping and not wanting to tell somebody no or whatever. And, and so I would just say, you know, if somebody says, do you want some of this? I would say, uh, I'm okay, I'm fine, because I didn't want to tell them no. And so I tell my son, you can tell me no if you don't want this. In fact, it's more polite and proper for you to say no thank you. And it's okay that you don't want, you know, a loaf of banana bread or whatever it is we may be offering him. I want him to be able to say no, first and foremost, to his parents in certain things for now, right? And, uh, but as time goes on, he learns when to apply the no to other people to set a proper boundary. So that when he starts going to work, and he's only 10, mind you, so he's got to one more year. And, but... <laughs> By the time he gets to work and someone says, I want you to do this, and he feels like that's a, you know, a, 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 a something changing, uh, what is it, what's the word, uh, what's that? Conflict, yeah, exactly, or what is it when you uh, compromise, a compromise of his values, he'll be able to say no, right? He'll be able to say no, and then what happens is, what does the boss do, right? And if it's a mature boss, it's like, okay, I respect your boundaries, which they probably wouldn't say that, but they'd be like, okay, I understand you're not able to do this, uh, and so et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I want them to be able to express that and live, live with it. Amen? Let's stand as we close this morning. It's a little bit different message, but it's incredibly applicable and incredibly important. And we see from the beginning that God, he set boundaries for us to protect us. He didn't want the oceans to, to crash over us and, and volcanoes and things to blow up in our faces and stuff. So he set boundaries on everything. We have to understand that there are boundaries in every aspect of our life and that we need to be setting proper boundaries. And here's the thing. Begin to slowly introduce boundaries into your life. If you go from zero to 100, it's going to be like smashing into a wall. It's going to be more like 100 to zero because you're going to set boundaries with people and they're not going to know what to do with it. So you need to begin to incrementally think about how can I set in boundaries? I, I really can't do that tonight, so I need to tell this person no. I can't do that, right? And what happens is people will begin to respect the boundaries that you have in your life, and you'll be able to have more freedom 
And as we said from the video just a minute ago, love respects freedom. Love thrives in freedom. Love requires freedom. As we walk in this love and this freedom, you'll find you'll begin to thrive in all of your relationships and your relationships will begin to be healthy and good. You'll actually keep the bad out and the good in. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads.